open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Just a heads up that next week we begin Exalt, uh, junior Sunday school, uh, junior church. That's all starting next week, and we're looking forward to that, to a, a new fall season, and uh, wait for more details to come from the office for that. Acts chapter 1. And we'll begin by reading the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he was given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. A curious question is asked in our passage this morning. It's not only that the question, that that the askers were curious, but that the question itself is a curious one. Imagine yourself taking a first aid course, and whether the course is one or two weeks, you you learn everything there is to know about first aid. You you learn to treat injuries, you learn to treat heart attacks, and, and then CPR, and bruises, and bumps, and frostbite. And as the course goes on, at the end of the two weeks, uh, one of the students puts their hands up and sincerely asks, so at what point are we going to learn about treating injuries? Really? What is it that you think we've been doing this this entire time? Now, I've taught first aid a number of times, and immediately a couple of things come to mind. Number one, you've been skipping class. And now we come to the end of it, and... You don't know what's going on. You've missed way too much. The other thing that can often happen is in first aid, there's a lot of employers who want it for a prerequisite for the job, and so they send them there, but they really don't want to be there. And they are bored to tears. And now it comes to the end of it, and they're a little lost. Or the third thing that could be common is maybe the material just way over your head. And now it's time for test time. It's like, what are we doing here? But if you were attending class, you weren't skipping. You were paying attention, and you were tracking with the, with the teacher, and you have a general idea of what's going on, then asking such an obvious question about treating injuries in a first aid question, uh, course becomes a little curious 
if not perplexing, what could they possibly be misunderstanding? In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to hold a 40-day seminar on the kingdom of God. However, when it comes time for Jesus to ascend to the Father, Jesus' disciples have one last question that's been burning on their minds, and it's a very curious question. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather this morning, may we have hearts ready to hear your word and a determination to apply it. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is not only a doctor, but apparently a historian and a book writer. And he's taking some time to record some key events to assist believers that may come at a later time. Let me read for you Luke chapter 1, a few verses here. Insomuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And Luke is writing so that they, and ultimately we, may have confidence regarding the teaching that we're getting that lines up with eyewitness accounts. So what did Luke write about exactly? Well, now we go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, the apostles whom he had chosen. And so what's interesting here is that where Luke leaves off in the first book, and where he begins in the second book, we get some overlap, so we get a little bit extra detail of what's going on in the hearts of the disciples. So let me set the stage for our curious question. For three and a half years, Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been healing the sick, casting out demons. He's been calling the leaders of that time into account. Thousands are coming to hear him preach. And then one day, just like that, he's crucified and he's gone. As far as the Jews are concerned, the ringleader has been killed and the shepherd has been struck down. And now it's time to go after the sheep. And this is where we find the disciples. They're afraid and behind locked doors. However, in their lowest moments, the disciples begin to receive some startling reports. Jesus has returned. Look to Acts verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus has now begun his 40-day conference regarding the kingdom of God, but it doesn't start out so well. At first, when they see Jesus or hear reports of him, they can't quite come to terms with what's happening. The book of John says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. This inability to comprehend uh, Jesus' return earns a couple of disciples a rebuke on the road to Emmaus. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. But now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Keep your finger in Acts 1. 
and just back a few pages to Luke 24. Starting at verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, this is the reports of Jesus returning, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened as though they thought they they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, Jesus adds one more thing. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. I want to draw your attention now to verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Keep this verse in your back pocket, as we're going to need a little later. So what does Jesus open their minds to understand? Verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. This repentance and forgiveness is what allows us, Jews and Gentiles alike, to enter into the kingdom of God. And this is important to note because it lines up with what Acts is making clear that the kingdom, Christ's kingdom, is a spiritual one. Jesus reinforced this days earlier when he was before Pilate, and Pilate said, when they're talking about this, and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Luke records that when the Pharisees are quizzing him, Jesus said, uh, well, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Well, why can't it be observed? Because Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual one, and this is what he's teaching the disciples. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the heart, and our Lord's design for this kingdom, restored, goes back to the fall of Genesis. In Hebrews ten sixteen, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds. But there's more. Not only is the kingdom of God a spiritual kingdom, but the entrance into the kingdom of God is also spiritual. In Christ's very first sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, the very first words out of his mouth were, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus was explaining salvation to Nicodemus in John 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this all fits with Acts 3 that we read earlier. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And now the seminar is complete, and we're very close to our curious question. Jesus is a short time away from ascending and has one last instruction 
Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Look to Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So far, we've learned that Jesus has appeared. He showed many evidences of himself taught about the kingdom of God for 40 days, promised the Holy Spirit, and now the disciples are going to gather one last time. And this is where the disciples asked Jesus a curious, if not a perplexing, question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Restore the kingdom. What are you talking about? Where did you get this idea? Ah. Now, now me, in my humanness, I know what I'd be thinking. You have got to be kidding me. I've just spent 40 days, over a month, explaining to you that the kingdom of God is all about salvation. It's not of this world. It can't be observed. And now you're asking me if I'm going to restore some earthly kingdom to Israel? Peter... Did you skip class? Andrew and James, were you so bored or disinterested that you just don't get it? I'm not sure this is the case, as we read earlier, that they were so excited that they disbelieved for joy. Okay, so maybe after 40 days, they still don't understand Jesus. It's, it's way over their heads. But remember Luke 24, 45, which we put in our pocket? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It seems we're only left with two options. Either they've totally blown it in their understanding about the kingdom of God, or the disciples understood something that perhaps we better look into. Scripture makes it clear that although the kingdom of God is unquestionably spiritual, it is also indisputably physical. And what we may confuse as two kingdoms are actually one. Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, listen to Nebuchadnezzar's prayer in the book of Daniel. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God's kingdom rule is over not just the spiritual, but over anything that has come into existence which has some very practical implications. Proverbs 21 says, 
the king's heart as a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. And this hands-on living and active rule of God is something that we as the people of God can tend to forget. Yeah, we understand that, that the kingdom of God is spiritual. Heaven is spiritual, salvation is spiritual, and God is spiritual. But what we often completely miss is that even though currently invisible, God is still completely in charge of anything and everything that happens here on earth. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. God's in control, but what about society? Look where it's headed. The trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. What, what about our godless governments? What about Twitter and Google removing our free speech? What about vaccine passports? What about Afghanistan and Hurricane Ida? What about the wickedness on social media? I saw an article not too long ago about the top 50 influencers, social media influencers. And I think I'm showing a little bit of my naivety because I thought, oh, this would be an interesting article. Perhaps in, in there we'll see some former presidents, some, some great writers, some thinkers of our time. As then I opened up the article, these followers have hundreds of millions of followers. And the top 10 included names like Taylor Swift. Kim Kardashian, and Justin Bieber. Theologically, we seem to grasp that, yes, God is in control. However, in the everyday sense, God, you're missing it. And there's some obvious here and now implications of a corrupt society. And it comes with a certain sense of unease that if we don't act now, everything that we've ever known and grown comfortable with church, community, freedom, could all end up being lost. And as we witness things going from bad to worse, we just want to do something. Our world seeks to do and seeks to stop the injustice of the day with, with marches, protests, peaceful or otherwise, campaigns, disobedience, fighting, all to get the government's attention to change laws in ways that they would see as right. But what the world fails to realize is that the law is not capable of changing human hearts. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Create a law and the human heart will find a way around it. Time and time again, the scripture tells us that God has sent his angels, his prophets, even his own son, to call a people to himself. Yet when the wicked hearts of men insist on their own way, God eventually turns society over to what it wants. And when we forget that it is the Lord who has turned over our nation to its own wickedness, and that it will have to be the Lord who will have to restore our nation, there's going to be a problem. When we as Christians lose sight of God's supremacy, we as believers end up trying to use the same methods of the world. And we become tempted to fight the government beyond proper democratic channels. We can be drawn into social media fighting anyone who disagrees with our indisputable opinions. 
And we can even be tempted to, in our efforts to right all the wrongs of the world, to fight other believers. And instead of contending for hearts transformed by the gospel that would no longer desire evil, we can fight the wrong fight by attempting to force godliness onto a world who hates it. And there can be a sad irony at work here. Yes, our times are evil. And there could be difficult paths to navigate like COVID-19 rules. But we want to be careful that the very thing that we are fighting and raging against isn't the very thing that God has allowed to do a refining work in our own lives. And over time, as we allow fear and anger over our, and the trouble of our time to rent too much space in our head, we can grieve the Holy Spirit and our testimony can begin to suffer with our friends and family and coworkers. And instead of sharing the hope we have in Christ, we risk deep diving into fearful and unhelpful conversations. All apparently because God doesn't see what we see. Uh, a few months ago at work, we responded to a pretty significant structure fire. And the cause of the fire, um, they were having a campfire in a pit the night before, and they wanted to remove it off the lawn so those water sprinklers could, could water the lawn. And so they removed the fire pit onto the, their back porch, which they thought was out. But then a strong wind came off the lake and dumped these coals into their back deck. And by the time we arrived, it was a pretty significant fight. Um, it was quite a battle even to make it our way to the back of the house between the two houses, the smoke and fire raging at us. And we eventually got to the back and did our best and managed to knock down the bulk of the fire which had taken out the deck and the overhang that was around it. But although we had knocked down the major part of the fire on the outside, because it was so wind-driven, it was finding its way in the joists into the basement and in ways up into the, into the second floor as well. And so our mission had changed. The, there's crews now having to go inside to take the fire out in the walls so that we wouldn't lose the house. And so our mission on the outside changed. We, we changed from, from subduing the fire, which was by and large put out, and now to ventilation from the outside to help get rid of some of that smoke for the crews on the inside. But as we were doing this, an onlooker had wandered onto the property and started pointing frantically up, up at something over on the other side of the house. And uh, I'm looking at her, she's waving and frantically pointing. And so I thought, well... I'll see what's going on over there. And so I broke away from my crew and wandered over and looked. And there was a small flicker of flame coming out of an already charred overhang. And yes, that flame would have to be dealt with. But actually, things were far worse on the inside of the house. And if those fires that were in the wall were not, that were not visible to the onlookers were not taken care of, we were going to lose the house. What onlookers often don't realize is that although they mean well, most times they can offer very little and can actually get in the way. And in the same way, the fires of the world that we see that look so ominous are nothing compared to the inferno that God sees in the hearts of men. God, look, over there's some fire, you're missing it. And since God seems to be missing it, I'm taking over. When in actual reality, this is God's fight. And we need to be careful that we're not obstructing God's justice and getting in the way. So what are we supposed to do? Just sit back and do nothing? 
Before we answer that, let's go back to where we left our disciples. They are living, by all accounts, in a much more troubled time than we are. They are ruled by a corrupt and puppet domestic government. A powerful and oppressive foreign government are over them as well at the same time. And there's a religious system that wants them eradicated. And just like our time, there are any number of groups that want change. Some, like the Pharisees, wanted a regime change through religion. Others, like the Sadducees, want to change through politics. Still others, like the Zealots, want to change through rebellion and physical force. And yes, there are approaches that are capable of temporarily changing the landscape of our time. And if the Lord has put you in a powerful position to enact change, then the Lord bless you as you work within the system. Jay mentioned that a little earlier in the announcements, that there, God has his Obadiahs in wicked administrations, Christians in, in power and in positions of influence. However, be reminded that our goal as believers is not the comfort and freedoms of the good old days, but souls won. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but a spiritual fight. And any effort to change the hearts of men without the power of the Holy Spirit will be utterly swept aside when up against the demonic spirit of the age. So for the disciples who are lamenting the evil of their time, to ask for Christ to visibly, tangibly, physically, and effectually restore the kingdom to Israel is in recognition that the Lord God and the Lord God only can effectively and completely accomplish God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's a beautiful question that recognizes and appeals to God's sovereign rule. Back to Acts 1 verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice our Lord's reply to the disciples' question wasn't frustration or rebuke. And this is important to take note of. For if there was ever a time to set the record straight about there not being any sort of physical return to supremely rule the nation of Israel in person, now would be that time. But our Savior did not correct them as he knew that their question concerning the earthly kingdom of God was not in contradiction to his teaching on the spiritual kingdom of God, as they are one kingdom. Instead, this is what Jesus says in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. This is a similar refrain, by the way, used earlier when Jesus speaks to his second coming in Matthew 24, putting his second coming and the restoration of the kingdom of Israel on the same page. Okay. So what do we do when we see the, the world on fire around us? The Lord has the situation under control, but even in his unchallenged supremacy, he still graciously chooses to use us in one area. Just like the house on fire I was telling you about, the house is on fire and you want to help? Go help your neighbor. Their house is on fire and they're standing out in the front lawn distraught and shivering in the cold. True story. 
And in the same way the world is on fire, there are countless neighbors of ours standing in the front lawn of life, suffering, alone, and shivering in the cold. And here is the job of the believer. And here is the job of the church. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all of the ends of the earth. The role and power of the church is not in fighting the fires of the world, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, loving our neighbors as ourselves and being a joyful example wherever God has placed us. If you think you're concerned about massive debt, hurricanes, free speech, and vaccine passports, what do you think is going on in the hearts of those who have no future hope in Christ? The fires of the earth are not to be feared, as our world fears, but they're an opportunity. Yes, most in the world are content to go down the ship shaking their fist at God. Yet there are some that the Lord has placed in our lives who are watching the world burn, yet look at us in bewilderment as they notice our joy. 1 Peter 3 says, Have no fear of the evildoer, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Our job on this cosmic fire scene couldn't be more clear. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, be a godly witness sharing the gospel. There is one more exciting element that we need to look at before we close. Look now to verses 9 to 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went... Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come. He will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back to rule. And what's so fascinating about this is the current separation between the spiritual and the physical kingdom of God will be removed. And the troubles and the evils of this world will be utterly subdued and will be worshiping the Lord face to face. Zechariah 14, I encourage you to read this chapter when you go home, describes this in great detail. I'll just give you a few verses here. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. And verses 2 and 3 describe a great battle against Jerusalem. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. And on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Then everyone who survives of all the nations who have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year, now get this, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. This curious question the disciples asked that seemed so out of place isn't so curious anymore, is it? 
Any educator will tell you that the most rewarding aspect of teaching is when the students can demonstrate what they've learned. And in the chapters that follow, Luke will record several times the disciples preach the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. The disciples weren't skipping class. They weren't bored or confused about the kingdom of God. But rather longing for Christ's return to defeat the spirit of the age and to rule his kingdom in person. What about you this morning? Are you a part of God's kingdom? Have you surrendered your will to the Lord and placed your faith in him? Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Secondly, with all the fires that surround us, are you caught up in the fear and the anger that the world is caught up in? Or are you an effective, joyful witness in the power of the Holy Spirit? And last question. Are you longing for the day when Christ comes to rule his kingdom in person? And do you find yourself asking right along with the disciples, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Let's pray. Lord, as we look around us, as we watch the news, Lord, we see so many fires, so many things that, that could be concerning. But Lord, we just pray that we'd be encouraged to trust in you, Lord, that yes, you are in control spiritually, but Lord, you are in control of all things over all the earth. And Lord, with this peace in our hearts, Lord, may we not be distracted from our mission. Lord, you did give us something to do in all this. Lord, and that is to be a faithful witness to those you put us in contact with. And Lord, through all this, may it encourage us to be like the disciples, to be looking for your coming. Lord, that, may, may be, that we can worship you face to face. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.